Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode of Dish was made on the 1st of July 2016. To hear more episodes, go to deliciousmagazine.co.uk forward slash dish. Hello and welcome to Dish, the food podcast prepared by the team here at Delicious Magazine. Here is a little taste of what's on today's menu. The uh, flowing robes do somewhat flatter the fuller figure. I mean, you know, who else is going to play Moses? He's not the Messiah, he's a very hungry boy. We hear the ten food commandments of food critic Jay Rayner. We're 12 miles from the centre of Edinburgh, but we could, couldn't be further from, the big, from a big city. And as you can imagine, I have a hellish assignment visiting a whiskey distillery in Scotland. Editor Karen Barnes tells us all about this month's issue, and we have a new feature that lets you, yes you, dear listener, appear on the show. It's all coming up on Dish. Now, observer, restaurant critic and host of the Radio 4's Kitchen Cabinet, Jay Rayner, has a new book out. Uh, he's written quite a few books in his time, uh, mainly around food, as you'd expect. This one takes a religious theme uh, using the idea of ten food commandments. Uh, so I went to meet Jay and find out what he came down from the mount with. So, Jay, tell us about the Ten Commandments. What are they? List them for us, please. My Ten Food Commandments are, Thou shalt eat with thy hands, Thou shalt always worship leftovers, Thou shalt covet thy neighbour's ox, Thou shalt cook sometimes, Thou shalt not cut off the fat, Thou shalt choose thy dining companions carefully, Thou shalt not sneer at meat-free cookery, Thou shalt celebrate the stinky, Thou shalt not mistake food for pharmaceuticals, And honour thy pig. So it's a broad list, and I like the uh, the biblical setup in this. Uh, what what made you stick to these ten, and what made you pick the ten that you've chosen? I wanted to write ten very pointed essays, and I wanted to look for subjects that I could run out for five thousand words, but wouldn't be worth more. Funnily enough, mm, so mm. the issue of eating with your hands. There's actually an awful lot of literature on that academic literature about when we started using forks and when we didn't and the value of eating with your hands. And so when I was going through each of these subjects, uh, the question was, how much is there to say? How much research has there been? And where will recipes sit in there? Because it's the first book of mine with recipes. Exactly. So what made you choose these recipes? The commandments obviously defined what the recipes would be. So when it was eating with your hands, well, one of them is actually a dip, to be honest, Mm. though it's a fantastic one. Um, eggs and spring onions and anchovies and it's play on the Ashkenazi dish of egg and onion mm-hmm. and the other one's chicken wings but it's my particular take on chicken wings a lot of them are very straightforward food I am not selling myself as the next Nigella um, I'm honestly not but I wanted recipes that played off the themes in the book I like the fact that you write them in a very uh, as if you're 
speaking their style. So you sort of write the, the onion tart, for example. You go through the whole list of making puff pastry, uh, making a pastry, and then just say, "By now, you've probably bought puff pastry. I won't judge you." Well, no, I won't. You know, I'm, uh, it's, it's short crust actually. Short crust, and, sorry, yeah. Everybody's got to buy puff pastry. Who makes their own puff pastry? <laughs> yeah, in that one, um, uh, when I made that that uh, short crust myself, I was very proud of myself. And now I look at it and think, "Am I going to make it, or am I going to go and buy it?" Mm. There is no shame in buying shop made pastry. I like the lamb dish, the slow-cooked lamb dish. I'm going to have a crack at that. Do you know, the funny thing about the slow-cooked lamb dish is that it seems to me a bit of a no-brainer, and maybe that's unfair. I remember posting a picture of it on social media, Twitter, Mm. and someone says, oh, what's the recipe for your braised lamb dish? And I rather snarkily replied, you get a bit of lamb and you braise it. (laughs) Because braising, the wonderful thing about braising is that as long as you leave it for long enough, nothing can go wrong. It's, you know, basically it's the interaction of hot water, liquid, on meat at a certain temperature, all the fibre will break down and you'll have a delicious a delicious piece of lamb. Yeah, I think the key fit that I hadn't thought about, though, is then taking it out, letting that rest, and then reducing that sauce, and then you glaze it again. Yeah, now the, the thing is, I've spent years looking at my sauces and thinking, how do they get those thick sauces in restaurants, or, or sauces with texture, uh-huh. without adding flour? I yes. didn't want to add thickeners. And then it suddenly struck me that really what I need to do was separate the two things out. So when I make a stew, I always strain off the sauce into a separate pan, reduce it down by about half, and then return it to the stew. Yeah. Which means you're not cooking the meat in there to death, yeah. but you are getting that thicker stew. And with a braised dish, you can do the same sort of thing. You can, you can reduce the sauce down and then use it as a glaze as well. Now, the interesting thing about that one, the braised shoulder of lamb with chorizo and red wine and brown sugar, is that it's actually there in the leftovers yes. chapter. Because whenever I make that, the most exciting part for me is two days later, when I start carving bits off the leftovers and throwing them into a hot frying pan with just a little bit of olive oil, and it becomes very, very crisp. Mm. And crisp pre-braised lamb is the most marvellous thing on this planet. Uh, I love the bit, uh, obviously having been privileged to come and review a restaurant with you, I love the bit about dining companions. Tell us a little bit about that. It's a rant, that one. <laughs> I should be fair, I, I write a column for the Observer Food Monthly, uh, I have done for about six or seven years, and there are various issues I've explored in there about different types of people, the slow eater, the slow orderer, yes, uh, the person who orders their steak well done. And then there are various issues to do with my own particular job yeah. of being a restaurant critic and people coming on reviews with me and thinking that it's all about them when it really isn't. I don't care about them at all. They're just there because I don't want to be lonely. I don't care what they think. <laughs> and they're trying to give me opinions. They're not the ones writing the column. I have to write the column. And I have to believe what, I'm, what I think, not what they think. And it, it gets very complicated. So that chapter really is about the deep, long journey into my tortured soul. And explain the reply that you ask reviewers to give if the waiters ask, ask if the meal's okay. Right, so the waiter comes around and they say, how is everything? And um, probably because you're British, you, you want to be polite and you want to say, it's marvellous, it's wonderful, it's great. Now, this doesn't serve me because I might not think it's marvellous or great. I might not have reached my conclusion. Mm. I need you to say something which is almost a holding position. And that holding position is fine. How is everything? Fine. Now, fine can be the word you use when you've had a horrible time, mm-hmm. and fine can be the word you, you use when actually you've had a terrific time, you just don't want to say it. Uh, I don't want you telling them you've had a marvellous time if I'm then going to write a negative review. Because that's unfair on the restaurant, actually. Yeah. If, they, if they got you going, oh, it's all lovely, lovely marvellous, 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 and actually then I then write a total, you know, kicking, yeah. the restaurant is entitled to wonder what went wrong between that moment your guest said it was all marvellous and you wrote that. Yeah. Fine. 
Everything's fine, Andrew. I like the small little paragraph on the snobbery. <laughs> Without snobbery, we'd still be buying olive oil in chemists to clean out our ear canals. Well, I, I wonder whether actually the whole book is about snobbery. I mean, people say, oh, you're just a snob. Without snobbery, without deciding that one thing is better than another, without having a set of values, nothing develops. Nothing moves on. Yeah. Snobbery is good. It's worth saying that this book is almost like a primer for the upcoming tour. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? The book and my live work now sit side by side. I could go on a long discourse about the difficulties of earning a living from the publishing <laughs> business. But let's, let's not do that. Basically what happened was a few years ago I published a book called Greedy Man in a Hungry World and I knew that it was fodder for discussion panels and I hate them. Right. I hate sitting on discussion panels. I hate watching them. So I thought I've got to come up with a one-man show which is a way around this so that I could just have a discussion with the audience. And it went so well that I've done two since then but this is the first time that the book and the show have been written almost together Interesting. so the the 10 food commandments show kicked off in June with a big event at the Royal Institute of British Architects and then I've got 20 or so other shows going on across the country right through the year from Newcastle all the way down to Poole I'll be in Swindon I'll be in Bracknell um, small theatres sometimes bits of festivals yeah and it's fun I even have a Moses outfit I've, I've seen this in the press release. It's, <laughs> it's quite fetching. It's a marvel. It's very forgiving, Jay. It's, it, it, yeah, the uh, flowing robes do somewhat flatter the fuller figure. I mean, you know, who else is going to play Moses? I even went as far as commissioning my own tablets of stone. Right, tell two, us about those. Two pizza boxes. One says, do as. The other one says, I say. Um, <laughs> what else are you going to, you know, is a, is a food man going to have his tablets of stone <laughs> written on? It's been fun coming up with a lot of props. I think it's great that, you know, you're sort of the live show and the book. It's it's a very interesting way uh, of reaching new audiences and, and doing something that people have to go and see and uh, and enjoy as well. And also, it brings it to life, I suppose. Yes, it does. I mean, look, I enjoy performing. I think you know that as well as sort of the one-man shows, I have a jazz quartet and I play live. And I think what it's about, really, is that in the, increasingly in the digital age, where everything comes to you very, very easily, you want the authentic experience. And the authentic experience for the audience is live. Now, I want lots of people to buy this book, read this book. It's, a, it's got recipes. It's, it could be a friend to you. It will sit very comfortably in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. But the next layer on top of it is to see me argue those commandments in front of you and what's more of course you then get to argue back because there's always a question and answer session um and i'm i'm also inviting during the show uh the audience to come up with their own food commandments they have to be more out there yeah, yeah, because Moses originally had more than 10. Uh, the original Jewish commandments are 613. There's some pretty wacky ones in there. Right? Thou shalt put a guardrail around a flat roof. I mean, that's basic <laughs> health and safety, isn't it? Uh, let's just end on the, the final chapter, because I know you're a huge fan of this, all things uh, piggy. Uh, just talk to us about this sort of the ode to the pig, as it were. The pig is an interesting animal in relation to the human race, because oh. it is the closest to us of all the animals we eat. Its heart valves keep us alive. Its insulin keeps us alive. And what's more, they have historically lived closer to us than any other animal. You need land to raise cattle and sheep, but you can keep pigs in the backyard. One of the um, great writers of the 19th century described a pig as a labourer's saving bank because you can feed them on the household waste. They'd have two litres of ten a year. You'd fatten them up. You'd sell off some producing money. You'd keep the rest for meat. And they're utterly, utterly edible. Mm. You can eat them from, you know, everything but the squeak. From front to back, their fat is very good for charcuterie. So they are, in terms of a food person, they're a glorious, glorious thing. There's only one issue with that, which is pigs are really clever. I spoke to one guy who said that a uh, professor of animal welfare at Cambridge, Donald Broom, who said that pig, uh, a smart pig is about as clever as a three-year-old. I remember my 
kids when they were three-year-olds, but I've eaten them. <laughs> and this does create interesting ethical issues. I mean, a lot of food is ethical issues, but nothing is more concentrated than in the issue of the pig. It makes us think. Um, and therefore, a chapter which, instead of the original Ten Commandments, honour honor thy Lord thy God, honour thy pig. But it's a good argument from a nice Jewish boy dressed up as Moses, isn't it? <laughs> Great. Thanks, Jay. Pleasure. And Jay's book, The Ten Food Commandments, is available in all good bookshops now. If you'd like to see him in the flesh, and indeed in those rather fetching flowing robes, uh, do check out his website. There's details of all his live shows on there. That is jrayner.co.uk. Now, we'd love to feature your food stories, messages, tales and thank yous on Dish. And to make that happen, we've set up a voicemail box that lets you leave a short two-minute message. It's a bit like that phone-in on Radio 4 Saturday Live, although not too much like that to attract the attention of the BBC's legal department. Uh, We're calling this function Soundbites, and the number to call, pen and papers at the ready, is 0203 868 1919. There you go, I'll give that number again. It's 0203 868 1919. Uh, it's a local number, but uh, please remember to get uh, permission from the bill player and your cost may vary depending on your call plan. Legalese ended. Uh, so here's our first soundbite from a delicious reader, Gemma Croffy, and all about her childhood mango memories. Eating Mangoes by Gemma Croffy. My three year old son Zachary picked up a mango from the organic fruit box that had just been delivered. He held it aloft and asked me, What is this, mummy? A mango, I replied. I felt a wave of sadness wash over me. Not because he didn't know what he was holding. I am obviously not a self-respecting foodie. But with the realisation, what he would call a mango was very different from what I had grown up with. My grandparents raised me in Accra, Ghana. In the middle of their compound was a huge mango tree. It was the meeting point where we would sit on wooden stools to listen to grandpa's stories or eat fruit. During mango season, the kids in the house, and we were many, usually at least ten, would run to catch the mangoes as they fell. We would watch the mangoes get bigger, riper and juicier till they were heavy and fell. We would wash them and tear a bit of the skin at the top off with our teeth. Then we would squeeze and suck till we had extracted as much juice as we could from them. Then we would peel the mangoes and slowly chew as much of the flesh as we could till the seed was bare. Sometimes the birds would get them first. Sometimes we would use a stick to pull down a stubborn ripe mango which refused to fall. The bravest of us would climb the mango tree to pick the best fruit. One day, when I was about eight, as I raised my cousin Ife to grab a fallen mango, she tripped me over. I cut my knee badly and I still have the scar today. From that day, I stopped eating mangoes and didn't eat one for years. Now the memory has receded and I can bear to eat them. I looked at the mango I held in my hand, massive, unripe and hard, which we would have to slice neatly to eat. A far cry from the sweet, small, juicy mangoes I ate as a child. Yet, I know better. Mangoes are a tropical fruit. They have to be picked unripe to be enjoyed in the Western Hemisphere. Mangoes and pears can ripen perfectly in a fruit bowl. Any mango is better than no mango, surely. I try not to think of the food miles and reassure myself that the organic process would not evolve chemicals. Yet, however irrational it is, I long for my son, my children, to experience eating a mango the way I did. 
I find myself saying to Zachary, don't worry. When we go to Ghana, you'll eat a proper mango. I wonder to myself whether it will be mango season when we go in the summer. Mental note to self, I must check. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Now, Scotland is the home, of course, of Scotch whisky. It's also the home to fantastic beef. Some of the best beef in the UK is produced in Scotland. But did you know there's actually a relationship between the two, between the farming community and the distilling industry? I went to one distillery to find out more. So I'm here with Ramsey Borthwick now, Senior Site Manager at the Glenkinji Distillery. Ramsey, tell me a little bit about the distillery here, because it's, it's, it's the only one with a bowling green for a start, but it's also that the, there's a river runs through it and, and there's a little stream there, and just, just sort of paint a picture. Well, the Glenkinji Distillery is nestled right next to the River Kinchy, and, and Glen being Scottish for a valley, you can imagine it's right at the bottom of a valley. Uh, the river runs through the, uh, through the distillery itself, we're taking water in at one end and, and putting it back in the other from our, our cooling stream. Um, and it's just, it just sits in its environment so so nicely. There's the little village of Glenkinchy that was built mainly to provide homes for the workers here um, back in the 1800s. And you are surrounded by fields that in the summer produce some of the best malting barley in in britain so it's very much a distillery of of its time the 1800s brick built nestles lovely in the valley um it's surrounded by its raw ingredients in in the water from the uh, the kinchi burn and also in the fields producing the barley for the maltings and we're 12 miles from the center of edinburgh but we could couldn't be further from the big from a big city we're a, a tiny little place we we affectionately call it Sleepy Hollow here because it is just time stands still when you're uh, when you're making a product like Scotch whisky. Do you want to tell us what you've been doing today? Because it's slightly unusual. Well, today I've been uh, hosting a, a FEMA audit. So, um, two of the uh, byproducts of the distilling industry are draft and pot ale. Both of them are fantastic animal feeds. Just describe what the draft and the pot ale are. 
So the draff is the material that comes out of the mash tun at uh, the end of the first process. So we mix water and um, grain together, the crushed grain. And what we want is we want the sugars. So we extract the sugars out of it, and what's left behind is is the rest of the grain, basically the husk um, or the the, the proteins um, and the cell structure. We don't want that, so we we um, send that away. So that's that's basically what draft is. It's right. very low nutrient, high roughage material, which is great for ruminants yeah. such as <laughs> cattle and sheep. Um, the pot ale is the the waste stream of the first distillation run. So you bring in the fermented um, wort, which is called wash, mm-hmm. uh, and you bring it all through. So there's a lot of yeast in there from the fermentation process. Plus, there's quite a lot of fatty acids as well. Um, and they are left behind by the distillation process um, because what we're doing in that first one, is we're concentrating. So we're left with quite a lot of water and we're left with this um, yeast byproducts, basically. Um, and that's a very good feed as it is for animals such as pigs. You think of the the, the candle would be something like whey from the cheese industry. What you can also do with that pot ale is you can condense it and make a syrup out of it. Um, and that syrup... Uh, can then be combined with the draft to produce a pellet, uh, a dark grains pellet, it's called. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another really good food for ruminants because um, it's actually been enriched now with a little bit more goodness, right. which is coming from the pot ale. They're enriching that uh, that draft, mm-hmm. mix them together, and that's that dark grain pellet is very good. It's also good for um, milking cattle who are looking, so the ca- they're looking for a little bit more richer um, feed. Mm. So that's what uh, that's what we do with those two. And you're doing this for what reason? We're doing this for two reasons. Um, one, they're a waste stream to us, and we have to get rid of it. Um, so if we didn't, we would have to pay for it to go away. Mm. So by selling it, not only are we providing ourselves with a revenue stream, we're also providing local farmers with a fantastic resource that they can overwinter their animals on. Um, and keep their keep their stock going. And there's such a strong tie between the two mm-hmm. that a lot of those farms are only in those areas because of the fact that the distilleries are there and they're very able to use the, the feed throughout the winter. It's it's fascinating to think about this because you look at the, 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 the feeding of cattle is one of the big problems in the world at the moment and we're seeing things you know rainforest being ripped up and soil grown and I you know I'm sure you'll agree that's that's wrong. And it's so it's seeing this sort of taking the crop, making whiskey, and then still having something brilliant that you can feed to the cattle, at the end of it, it's sort of we're getting two bites of the cherry, right? Yes, yeah, we are. Um, we are we're, we're an industry where we're taking in arable crops yeah. um, and we're processing those to produce a very important product in, in, in spirit and whiskey. Mm. Um, but if we can also then use that material to support more farmings, mm. then that's fantastic as well. So there's a definite correlation between the history of whiskey production and the byproducts supplying the wider agricultural community. Very much so. I mean, um, whiskey itself is a way of storing arable crops. So there's always been a strong tie-in from distilleries, not only to the arable farms, but to um, to livestock as well. Mm. And they, they boosted the quality of those beef stock so um, one example would be the Aberdeen Angus okay, breed. Okay, tell us about that. So the Aberdeen Angus breed was, was developed up in Speyside uh, on the Ballandalic estate, uh, which is quite close to distilleries like Cardew and Craig and Moore. And it was developed as a, 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 
a mixture of the, the Highland cow, which was very rough and able to survive the, the conditions, produced great quality meat, but didn't produce much of it, mm-hmm. uh, and mixed with uh, a breed called the Belted Galloway, mm. which is from the southwest of Scotland, and, and a much bigger, much stronger animal, produced a lot more meat, but the quality wasn't so good. Right. So they developed this breed in Speyside that was bi- was bigger, produced more meat, but the quality was still fantastic. Uh, and they were able to feed it year-round on this uh, draft byproduct. Yeah. So they had good quality feed year-round uh-huh. so they could get great quality beef at the end of it. So there's always been that strong tie-in between distilling and, and farming, not just arable farming, but meat farming as well. Ramsey, you're very much a steady hand on the tiller. Where do you think we're going to be in 5, 20, 15, 100 years' time? We're in a great industry. Yeah. Uh, I've always always been very, very lucky to work in a, in a job and a career that has made me want to come to work every day. So we're, I'm, I feel I'm in a market, I'm in an industry that is growing. We've had fantastic growth over the last few years, uh, and we're now sort of pulling ourselves together for the next big push. And I can see I can see this industry going from strength to strength to strength. We are protected in a wonderful way in that you can only make scotch in Scotland. Mm. So I can see not only ourselves being here, I can see the industry growing in number and strength as new industry members join. And those of us who have been here for hundreds of years are able to welcome them in, but also continue to do what we do and provide great spirit for everyone who's enjoying it and there are more and more people coming into the whiskey world and it's great to see them discovering something new and enjoying that as well so i'm catching up now with Karen here and we've got the july issue there's a lovely great piece of uh, flesh there for barbecue season tell us about the recipe Karen. it's uh, salt beef with a zingy chili spiked uh, chimichurri which is a green spicy sauce and you talk in your Ed's letter about how barbecues changed from when you and I were growing up. It was sort of burnt offerings from the alpha male of the family. And now it's not only great quality meat, but it's also vegetables. And it's, it's a much broader church, right? Anyone who loves to cook likes getting involved in the barbecue, as far as I can see. I have lots of close female friends who are right in there, turning things over on the coals. And who doesn't love uh, sitting outside in the sunshine, eating sticky meat with their fingers and... Uh, <laughs> throwing the bones into a pile in the middle but I just don't like the sexism that surrounds barbecues there's so much talk about how it's the male preserve it's so much more than that and uh, uh, food is something that brings people together it's not something that drives people apart and there's a competition link to the uh, cover recipe tell us about that oh yes in uh, delicious magazine every month uh, there is an opportunity to cook the recipe on the cover and then take a picture of it on your phone and you can post the picture on our facebook page and the best uh has a chance to win a prize this month it's a fantastic gas barbecue so it would make cooking that cover recipe all the easier for the rest of the summer um what else have we got to look forward to we've got here trend watch go vegan really Go vegan, yes, it's, mm. it is a trend, very much so. I, I think for a long time, people have been trying to eat less meat generally, mm. um, which sounds like a complete contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that's you not barbecuing. <laughs> yes, but I think but the one of the approaches on delicious is <laughs> a serious point. Andrew, take it seriously. Sorry, sorry. Um, is that we encourage people to eat less meat, but to make the meat they eat really good meat and to make sure it comes from a place where they know the animals have been treated well. And... Uh, Part of that is that uh, other days of the week, you need to eat wonderful vegetarian food. And there's so much inspiration and uh, opportunity to, to do that, especially in the summer months where vegetables are so wonderful and abundant. We've also got here one of the, uh, this is the fourth, right? The Pull Out and Keep Collector's Edition. So this one's centered on pastry. Previous ones have been bread and cake and those sorts of things. I'm just looking here at this sweet and spectacular nectar in rose tart. That is stunning. Tell us about that. The, the great thing about these collector's editions for anyone who hasn't seen them yet is that they're on much thicker paper and every page is perforated so you can tear them out and save the recipes as you as you wish. Really easy to keep. Um, the pictures are completely you want to dive onto the page and mm. and lick lick the page um but this <laughs> <White> pa- <laughs> <laughs> this particular tart was created by uh ella who is on our food team and she is patisserie trained at the cordon bleu and it looks on first glance like something really difficult to make but actually it's just finely sliced nectarines or peaches that you arrange in a concentric pattern on top of a tart finally what's our rant this month our little kind of shout what have we got here we have a rant about um the annoyance of telling people that they can't cook there's an awful lot telling us that we haven't got time to cook actually that isn't really true we probably have more leisure time than than we've ever had and i think we need to bring an end to that kind of mentality and encouraging people to think that way because it really isn't the way forward in terms of cooking from scratch which is the healthiest thing excellent and if you've got a rant or something you want to get off your chest or even a nice thought uh, you can ring our answer service and leave us a little message and we'll play it on the show the number again is 0203 868 1919. Uh, in the meantime, it's the new delicious July issue with a great piece of beef on the front. And look for it in the shops now. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Dish. Uh, do remember that phone line again. I'll give you one more time. It's 0203 868 1919. You can leave us a short message. It can be anything you like. Uh, a little thank you, what you're having for tea, uh, what you're having for lunch, or what you've had for breakfast. Or the best meal of your life, the worst meal of your life. Just get in touch and we'll play it on the show. Until next month, goodbye. 